0: to trust in you. You are good.
1: Our scripture today is found in Luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 25. Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, and they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see
0: Jesus. I uh-huh. trust I
1: Hello, everyone. Our current sermon series is entitled 40 Days, and we are considering some of the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. Last week, we considered John chapter 20 and Jesus' appearance to his disciples who were hiding in a room for fear and how his presence not only brought peace, but purpose and power to their lives. This week, we're gonna be considering Luke chapter 24 and Jesus' appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and how his presence brought hope and clarity to their lives. We use the word hope quite often in our day-to-day conversations. We say things like, I hope you have a nice day, or I hope dinner is ready when I get home, or I hope you have a nice time on your vacation or I hope you do well on your exams. I hope you stay safe. I hope pastor doesn't yell at us too much this week in his sermon. Hope in these contexts is about desiring something with no guarantee that it's gonna be realized. When you study the word hope in scripture, you see that its meaning is much different than how we tend to use it in our day-to-day conversations. The word hope in Scripture is defined as a confident expectation in the promises of Jesus that causes us to persevere because we believe that Jesus is faithful to keep his promises. Hope looks to the past. Hope anticipates the future. But hope lives in the present. Hope lies sandwiched right there between the promises that Jesus made in the past and the anticipation of the realization of those promises in the future. Now, as we look at the scripture today, we will see that Jesus' presence with us in the midst of our hopelessness gives us the confidence that we need to persevere because we are reminded that Jesus always keeps his promises. I think it would be fair to say that none of us want to reach a point in our lives when things seem hopeless. But the truth is, most of us will feel a sense of hopelessness at some point in our lives. And so because of this, it's important for us to understand how Jesus' presence in the midst of hopeless circumstances helps us find hope. The first thing we're going to consider is confusion. Our scripture begins with the phrase, now that same day. In the previous verses, we read of the account of the women finding the empty tomb and two angels appearing to them, telling them that Jesus was risen. Then they ran to tell the 11 disciples and some of the others about what had happened to them. This is Easter Sunday, it's Resurrection Day. And these two disciples are not a part of the 11, but they are disciples nonetheless, and they are walking the road to Emmaus. Emmaus was seven miles from Jerusalem, we're told. The law required that male Jews go to Jerusalem for Passover. It also required that they go to Jerusalem for Pentecost, which was 50 days later. If a pilgrim was from far away, they would usually stay in Jerusalem from Passover to the end of Pentecost. Since these two lived so close to Jerusalem, just seven miles away, they were most likely returning home since it would be easy for them to make the trip back to Jerusalem later on. The events of the past few days created a variety of responses. The religious Jews who accused Jesus of blasphemy and wanted him dead They're rejoicing. He was out of the way at last. The threat was removed, and the awkwardness of dealing with this Jesus was over. His friends, his family, his followers, well, they're devastated. They're disappointed. They loved him. They had witnessed him killed in a brutal manner, and now he is gone. He was supposed to be the promised Messiah. He was supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. He was supposed to be the one who would deliver them from Roman bondage. As they walked along, the two disciples, they were discussing the situation. Discussing means to to reason, to examine, to ask questions. They're speaking with each other. They're trying to make sense out of everything that has happened. As they walked toward home, there was an overwhelming sense of hopelessness and despair suddenly someone else has come alongside them and joined them in their walk. Now, this was not an unusual occurrence during a pilgrimage. What made it unusual was the fact that, well, it was Jesus. We're told that they didn't recognize him because they were, quote, prevented from recognizing him. Now, this could be intentional for the moment, or this could perhaps be that they're so engulfed in their disappointment and grief that they're not expecting him, but nonetheless, they don't recognize who he is. He commented to them that they looked sad, gloomy, mournful in appearance. And he said, what are you talking about? Now, with their answer, their disappointment was revealed. They said these words, we were hoping, we were hoping. You see, they had hopes, they had dreams, they had ideas, they had plans. But it appeared as though things had now turned out completely different than they had thought they would, and they're very, very confused. Secondly, understanding. When Jesus asked them what they were talking about, they wondered how anyone could be in Jerusalem during the crucifixion and not know what had happened. So they began to share the events of the past few days and how their hope had been crushed. They also shared that the women had gone to the tomb and found it empty and how they then reported it to them and that this news was also verified by others. They were not sure what to make of this information. He'd been dead for two days and there was no body anywhere to be found. They're caught, struggling between hopelessness and hope. They want to have hope, but their circumstances are suggesting that hope is impossible. Jesus then began to restore their hope by revealing the big picture to them. They had lost sight of of the bigger picture. In fact, if perhaps they ever saw it at all. And so he revealed the big picture in two ways. First, through the scriptures. He began with Moses and worked his way down to himself. He explained what the prophets meant and the prophecies meant and how it all tied together and where it was all leading. He put into perspective the events of the past few days, showing them the necessity of it all. The light of understanding began to break in. There's a sense of change that's going on in our scripture and the burden of hopelessness begins to lift. Then secondly, we see Jesus showing them the bigger picture through fellowship. They arrive at their home, and Jesus indicated that he was ready to continue on ahead of them. He had further to go. But they constrain him, it says. They strongly encouraged. They pleaded for him to stay with them. You see, his words were beginning to bring hope to them. So he stayed and sat at their table. Then when he picked up the bread and he broke it. As he was distributing the bread, giving it to them, their eyes began to open. They saw that it was Jesus. He was alive and he was with them. Thirdly, hope. Jesus departed from them after his visit. Actually, we we are told he just disappeared out of their sight. They were left looking at each other in amazement, discussing what had just happened. They began to look back over the whole experience with Jesus. And they began to see things and understand things that they didn't see or understand before. And they stated, didn't our hearts burn within us when he shared the scriptures with us? You see, the scriptures birthed hope in them because these were not just random thoughts, but intentional, deliberate plan of God was revealed in those scriptures. Looking back, things made more sense. The big picture was clearer. They didn't understand everything, but they understood more than they did before, and that was enough to inspire hope. Immediately, They rushed back to the others in Jerusalem, made the seven mile trek back and shared their experience. They had found hope because they had experienced the presence of Jesus in the midst of their hopelessness. There are two things that I would like to focus on from our scripture today. The first is rough roads. Folks, life is filled with setbacks, disappointments, losses, failures, rejections that take us down roads that we never set out to be on. Roads we never ever imagined we would ever be on. Now when that happens, we sometimes want to give up. We feel overwhelmed. We can't see any value in what we're what we're doing we're disappointed in how things turned out in fact some of us today can identify with these two disciples like them we too had plans for our lives we too had ideas of how things were going to go we too dared to dream dreams we too had hopes yet We find ourselves today in a place where things have not worked out the way that we anticipated or expected they would. And like the two disciples, you may find yourself today saying the same words that they did. I had hoped. I thought. But instead you find yourself attempting to process the situation trying to figure out what went wrong with my marriage. What's going on with my family? Why I'm in, am I in this financial mess? What's going on with my health? Why am I here? What, how come I lost my job? Those decisions I made, I thought they were good ones. You may find yourself sitting with your spouse or a friend or a coworker or a counselor to talk about and reflect on the reality of your situation, because, quite frankly, you're just trying to process it all. You're trying to you're trying to make sense of it. You're trying uh, to reason it out. You're trying to get your head around it. But nothing makes sense. The beliefs you once held dear to your heart echo like hollow cliches, and you're sad, and you're grieving your losses. You feel alone. And you wonder if God ever had a plan for your life or if God is really at work in your life at all. Perhaps you feel like a fool for believing in all of that in the first place. You're confused, disappointed. Things don't add up. They don't make sense. There appears to be no hope in sight, nothing but chaos. It's not a very good place to find yourself. Yet the truth is, it's a familiar place for many people, for many of us from time to time. At some point, we all experience rough roads. Secondly, encouragement. When we find ourselves in a place of hopelessness, we tend to focus on our circumstances, on our painful realities, resulting in not being able to see or focus on the bigger picture. See, the truth is, we need to focus on the bigger picture if we're going to get through our difficult times. You may have people in your life that love you so deeply that they are willing to encourage you by helping you see the bigger picture, perhaps even at the cost of being rejected by you. If you have those people, you are very blessed. You may not have someone in your life that will step in to encourage you and help you in the bigger picture. Maybe that's not your situation. And if that's the case, well, we need to be like David in Ziglag. When everybody turned against him and blamed him for their losses, we're told that David encouraged himself in the Lord. So whether it's others that encourage us, or whether we encourage ourselves in the Lord, we learn two important truths from this scripture that will help us to be encouraged. The first is, Jesus' presence is with us in times of hopelessness. When we're going through painful times, we often feel like we're going it all alone. We feel like God has abandoned us, has left us to fend for ourselves, and that our prayers to him just fall flat. But nothing is further from the truth. Folks, Jesus is always with us. He will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. And how do I know that? Because that's the promise he made to us. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we may not recognize him right away, but he's here. And as we spend time with him in prayer, Bearing our souls to him, crying out from the very depths of our grief and our pain to him, he reveals himself to us. And we recognize who he is, that he is there, and that he cares, and that he's been there all along. Even though we have lost sight of his presence and his work in our lives, he's very much at work. Although it is difficult to see his hand working in our lives at times, he is working to bring us through. He is with us on the rough road, on the road we would never dreamed we'd be on. Secondly, scripture helps us to understand our situation. The Bible has a way of putting life into perspective. It reminds us of who God is about how much God loves us, God's promises for us, his desires for us. When we read about the lives of others and what God did for them, it encourages us and gives us hope. Like the two disciples, we tend to focus on certain parts and neglect the other parts. They focused on the exciting stuff, the kingdom, ruling with him, being delivered, conquering Rome. But they left out the part that this would come through suffering. Because God's kingdom is not a political kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. See, truth be told, we like the exciting stuff too. We like the miracles, the healing, the blessings, the deliverance, the answers to prayer. I mean, who wouldn't? That's the good stuff. But we also have to embrace the building of our character the positive aspects of suffering, the relinquishing of unforgiveness and bitterness in our lives. You see, it's not one or the other. It is both. And when we lose sight of that, well, like the disciples, we get confused. But when we see it completely, we gain an understanding that Jesus is with us and is working in our lives despite our pain. You will come through what you are facing. It may not be how you expect or how you desire, but you will come through. And when you do, you will look back. And perhaps you won't understand everything. Maybe you won't even understand anything. But you will be able to trace Jesus' presence with you all along. The big picture is always more focused in hindsight. That's why we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Through your journey of hopelessness, you will find hope. Perhaps some of you are listening today and you're in a place of hopelessness. You're confused. This is not how life was supposed to turn out. I want to remind you today that Jesus is alive and he is with you in the midst of your hopelessness. And I would like to remind you today as we close that Jesus' presence with us in the midst of our hopelessness gives us the confidence that we need to persevere because we are reminded that Jesus always keeps His promises.
0: Yeah. Let us put it on.